right, good evening. Welcome to the service tonight. Come on in, find a place. We're going to sing number 655 to start, but the rest of the service is yours as far as favorites tonight, so we'll just be taking favorites from the floor. Uh, first come, first serve. We only have a few slots, but we'll try to get in as many as possible. We'll start with, though, Sunshine in My Soul. It's kind of a dark cold and rainy night tonight so good song to sing 655 there's sunshine in my soul today sing it out here we go there is sunshine in my soul today more glorious and bright Music in my soul today, a carol to my King, and Jesus listening can hear. winter haters there's springtime there is springtime in my soul today for when the lord is near to hold out that chorus, all right? But we'll save it for verse four. You watch me on the chorus. There is gladness in my soul today. Hope and praise and love. Welcome. Good to see you tonight. We're so glad each of you are here. Trust you're smiling on the inside and the outside tonight. It's good to be in the Lord's house. Trust you had a blessed Christmas day as well, remembering the birth of our Savior. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on the services tonight and ask God to work in our hearts through the preaching of the Word of God. Brother Starr, could you voice our prayer tonight, please? Service tonight. 
Amen. All right, you can be seated. You can be seated. Favorite songs, we'll start just one verse. You can choose the verse, whatever verse it is. Um, Christmas songs are still legal to choose, all right? So if you would want to do that, it's still legal after tonight. It's, it's over. It's illegal, all right? So uh, who will start us off? Favorite song that you'd like to sing tonight? I won't even charge you a blessing or a, or a praise. You just call out a number, call out a name. Someone's going to have to break the ice. I saw a Sharon. saw a hand back there. 536? 596. 596, which is Victory in Jesus. Oh, but I don't think we can sing this sitting down. But that means it's a false start. You, stood, you sat and now you need to, we need to stand. All right, let's stand. Do you have a verse? Sharon, that you want to do? First verse? She likes the first verse. Sing it out. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me Favorite song, never favorite song. Brother Don. 22, great is thy faithfulness. Am I guessing that right? 22? How great thou art. I got close. And you said verse 3? 4. Verse 4. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation. Sing it out. Verse 4. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation. And take me home, what joy shall fill my heart, then I shall bow in humble adoration, and there proclaim, how good and great the Another favorite. Go ahead, Abigail. 324. Did you do that from memory? 324, which is wonderful grace of Jesus. Verse 2, or said 2? 2. 
wonderful grace of Jesus reaching to all the lost. By it I have been pardoned, saved to the uttermost. 324, wonderful grace of Jesus. Wonderful grace of Jesus reaching to all the lost. By it I have been pardoned, saved to the I see that hand. 363. So we're going front to back to front. That's good. We're hitting them all. 363. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. 363. That's 353. I got David give a chance to catch up with us. 363. Saved by the blood. You have a verse? Verse. My choice, so I'm just going to go with one, all right? It's the first one there. Saved by the blood. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Now ransom from sin and a new work begun. a bunch more hands it's going now yes sir right there 376 verse 1 a shelter in the time of storm the lords are rocking him we hide 376 the lords are rocking him we hide a shelter in the time of storm Brother Scott. 
42, 42, number 42, our great Savior. Jesus what a friend for sinners, Jesus lover of my soul, friends may fail me, foes will Seventy-seven. I don't know what it is. Seventy-seven. I hope it's good. I know I'd hear about it. Oh, he had to snuck sneak a Christmas song in here. All right, but that's okay. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, number seventy-seven. We'll sing that verse four. Verse. You mean one? Faking me out here. Verse one. Of verse one. The first verse we'll sing. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, some captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God Since you're the last one, Brother Sean, you get two verses tonight. Bonus verse. 362. 362, 362. The first two. All right, 362. There's power in the blood. Do you want to do, do quadruple and eight powers in the chorus? Whatever I want. Oh, this is great. All right, we're going to do that. We'll double it. Verse one, we'll... Doubled again, verse 2, all right? All right, so here we go. There's power in the blood. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you are able of tonight would you be free from your passion and pride there's power in the blood power in the blood come for a cleansing to calvary's time 
Amen. Great singing tonight. You may be seated. To two passages to start off with. We're going to actually look at several verses this evening. So let's begin in the book of Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. And then you might also want to look back and find 1 Timothy chapter 3. So Proverbs chapter 23 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'd like to speak to you a little bit this evening about the subject of how we handle truth. And we should return to our series in the book of Ecclesiastes next Wednesday evening. If you're there in Proverbs chapter 23, direct your attention, if you would, to verse 23, where the scripture says this, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. 
Now you can tell from verse 23 that truth is a precious commodity. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, truth is characterized as being synonymous with wisdom, and it is more precious than all of the physical riches of the world. There is no amount of money that could ever pay enough to purchase truth, which is why God has given it freely, and He has provided it for all those who are willing to hear, who are willing to partake of the riches of wisdom. Now, Proverbs 23 reminds us that if we find the truth, if we procure the truth, then we ought to regard it as precious and we ought not to easily give it away. And there's a great lesson in that about how important it is that once you've found the truth, to close your mind on the truth. I know we live in a day and age where they say you always should have an open mind, but there's a place to close your mind on the truth. Uh, When you found the truth to say, I'm done looking. I found that which is true. I don't need to keep looking for all of the other things out there because I found something that is right, something that is true. Once you find the truth and you're convinced of it, don't sell it. Don't get rid of it, whatever you do, because it's precious It is something to be valued, something to be treasured, and what we'll find tonight, something to be shared. You shouldn't sell it, but you should share it. So now turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as we're thinking about the truth this evening. Look at verse number 15. The scripture says this, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the New Testament teaches us that the New Testament church is very important because the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And if you study that metaphor, if you think about that analogy and what it is teaching us, The pillar and the ground is a place where something is built up or something is founded for display. And the reality is that a New Testament church should be displaying the truth to the world. It should be a place where the truth is taught, where the truth is shared, uh, where the truth is what is spoken about, and where the truth is put on display for any who want to know and hear, they can come and partake of the truth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, I think that metaphor has more to say than just that, but for tonight's purpose, that will suffice because we don't want to spend all night digging into 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. The truth is a precious commodity, but God has made the truth to be such that there's plenty of it to go around. In other words... We tend to have a scarcity mindset about many things, and sometimes we have a scarcity mindset about the truth. Like, I've got the truth, and there's not enough to share with anybody else. But when you have an abundance mindset, you realize that God, the Creator, made things to be such that there's more than enough to go around. There's more than enough to share. And especially concerning the truth, we don't need to be stingy concerning the truth, but rather we ought to be generous with the truth 
The truth that has changed our lives and the truth that has established our thinking and has given us hope for the future is a truth that can be shared with the world around us. Now, with that as a backdrop and that uh, in your mind, I want you to consider with me several things that the truth is tonight. And then we want to make an application to us as believers and particularly to us as a New Testament church here at Lehigh Valley Baptist Church about the truth and our responsibility of how we ought to handle the truth. Do you know that, first of all, the truth is a blessing? It's a blessing. And while you're thinking about this, you can be turning to the book of Genesis chapter 12. But just imagine where you would be if you had never heard the truth. Imagine what you might be doing tonight, how you might be occupying your time, what your, might, your life might look like if you hadn't discovered the truth and if the truth hadn't changed your life. The truth is indeed a blessing. The truth is a foundation. We see, as we've already made reference to in the book of Proverbs, that the truth is very precious. It's something that is so precious that we can't even put a physical price on it. Now, what should we do with things that are a blessing? Well, Genesis chapter 12 tells us something about how we ought to treat blessings. Not just the blessing of the truth, but any blessing that we receive. It's set in the context of the covenant that God makes with Abram when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. In verse number two, he said, I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and Thou shalt be a blessing. Do you notice that right in the wording of the blessing that God gave to Abraham, there was the intention that Abram would not keep that blessing for himself, but that that blessing was to be shared with others. He said, one of the reasons, Abram, that I'm making, uh, that I'm going to bless you is so that you would in turn bless others. Now, as I said, this is true about every blessing that God gives to us. And again, this is that abundance mindset. If God has blessed you with something, then he's blessed you with it and he's given you more than enough to share with others. And that's an incredible blessing in and of itself. But think about this, how we can be a blessing with the truth that has been a blessing to us. Think for, for instance tonight, about how the truth has brought hope to you and I. Do you know any people around you that need some hope this evening? That, That need to have something to look forward to? Perhaps they're weighed down by the circumstances of life and they need something to be able to build their life on? Some hope goes a long ways in people's lives and provides a tremendous blessing. How about the way that the truth is a foundation to our life Do you know anybody that needs a foundation for their life? That is struggling to know what to do or where to build their life, where to prioritize. And so think about this tonight. We've been blessed with the truth. And we have the opportunity to then share that truth with people around us and thereby to be a blessing to them. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well... Not that many people are interested in hearing the truth. You might be surprised, actually. 
If you start to share the truth, you might be surprised how many people really would be blessed by hearing the truth which you have found. But suffice it to say that no matter how they respond, God intends for us to be a blessing to those around us by taking the truth which we have heard and disseminating it, sharing it with others. So the truth is a blessing. We also find, second of all tonight, that the truth is a light. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Look with me at verse number 16. This is our theme verse for 2023. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And it's clear in the context of Matthew chapter 5 that the light which he's speaking about is not the light of our personality or the light of our, uh, of our uh, pleasingness to others, or anything like that. No, the light that he's speaking about is the light of the truth of God. Right. He makes it clear here in the context that light is not intended to be hidden. Light is something that is to be uncovered, that is to be shined into the darkness. Light is something that should be shared with others. How many of you have a light on your cell phone? We don't even use flashlights anymore. We all carry a a cell phone around with us until you realize that that light's not all that great. But we use it a lot because it's always with us, right? So we tend to take that light out and use it. I think my son discovered the other day that it'd be better to carry a little flashlight than his cell phone when he's working construction because cell phones don't respond well to being dropped when you're using them as a light. Maybe some of you have experienced that as well. But how many times have I been working on the car and couldn't find my flashlight, so I took my greasy fingers and turned my, my flashlight on on my phone so I could see what I was doing down in there in the engine. Hey, it works, right? If you've got a light, you need to use it. And we live in a dark, dark world. There's a lot of darkness around us in our culture. There's a need for the light to be shined. Wouldn't it be a shame if people were in darkness and you had a light and you didn't bother to say, hey, I've got a light. If somebody's stumbling around and you've got a light in your pocket, it's kind of cruel to not take it out of your pocket and illuminate the path for them to show them where they're going. Hey, look, can't you see the peril that's in front of you? Look, look right there. If you've got a light, you ought to shine it. How many Christians have the light, the truth? And they're just kind of keeping it to themselves. They're trying to, like they're creeping into the woods to sneak up on somebody or something. They're trying to make sure the light is on their feet and theirs alone so that nobody else knows that they're people of the light. This is not how God wants us to live. If you have the light, then don't be ashamed of it. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So if you have the truth, the truth is a blessing for sure that you should share. The truth is a light that you should shine. There's no doubt about that. Tonight we also find that the truth is an investment. 
Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. It's an investment that God has made into your life and mine. 1 Peter, I said. 1 Peter chapter 4. I was turning to 1 Timothy, which wouldn't have helped us much. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 10. Now, in the context, he's talking about the gifts of God. And he says this in verse 10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Then he goes on in verse 11 to say, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So notice that the truth is an investment that God has given to us. And in this case, it's referred to in verse number 10 as something that is a stewardship. All of the gifts of God which He gives, our abilities to serve, uh, our, the, the truth that we can speak, which is what we're thinking about right now, the, the, the salvation which He's given to us, His grace which is abundant in our life, all those things are given to us as an investment that is made in our life. Now, when you make an investment, generally you expect a return. Have you ever had the misfortune to invest in a company that in turn went belly up and your investment was completely lost? That's not the desired effect. You want to invest in a company that's going to take those resources and then use them to grow the capital, to be able to give you a return and to make the company go forward and do something that is better. If you think about the truth as an investment that God has made in you, it means that God is intending to get a return. The grace of God has been invested in your life, and He wants you to take that grace and share it with others and thereby bring about a return in other people's lives. For instance, if you think tonight about your own salvation... I think you will agree with me that if someone had not invested in you by giving you the truth, you would have not gotten saved. And all around us, there's other people who need to be saved, who need that same truth invested into their life so that they can go forward and share that with others. So the truth is an investment which God has made. It's a stewardship. In the Gospels, Jesus talks about the fact that we are stewards who are given talents and those talents are not described. Uh, sometimes people see that and they, oh, that's my abilities to do things. Well, not necessarily. That's not necessarily what it's speaking about. Rather, I think it's speaking about the opportunities that God gives. And it's more comprehensive in, in covering all of the gifts of God. Anything that God has given to you, He has given to you with the expectation that you will invest it for a return. So the truth is an investment. Think about tonight, if you've been a Christian and you've been in church for any length of time, you've learned an awful lot of truth. Truth has been invested into your life. And God is expecting you to take that truth and do something with it. 
So the truth is a blessing. It's a light. It is an investment. Fourth of all tonight, truth is a trust. A trust. Go to 2 Timothy now, chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2, a verse which we're familiar with. Just hang with me. We're going to take all of this and go somewhere with it in just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2 says, And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who who shall be able to teach others also. So take the things that you have heard and then... Commit or entrust those to faithful men who will in turn take those same things, those same truths, and they'll find others who are going to be faithful and they're going to entrust those truths into them. And the idea is that the process is to continue and go forward from one generation to another, to another, to another. We're to take the truth. It's been entrusted to us. This is a sacred trust, by the way. It's not our truth. Uh, It's not up to us to determine. Sometimes people will question me about our doctrine. It's not really up to me to determine our doctrine. God is the one who sets the doctrine. God is the one who declares the truth. We simply interpret it and hopefully apply it consistently, but we don't get to decide, well, we want to believe this or we want to believe that. But whatever it is that is the truth, we need to take that and we need to invest it or commit it, or trust it to other people. Now, there's a problem with us feeling as if we are the only ones who can be responsible with the truth, because we're not going to be here forever. So we have to make a concentrated effort to be investing that truth into others the same way that it was entrusted to us. We want to entrust that to others who will be faithful with that truth. The idea of a trust is a deposit that is made, like you might make a deposit in the bank. It's the idea that you put something for safekeeping. And do you know that the best way to keep the truth safe is not to take a bunch of Bibles and hide them somewhere in a safety deposit box in the bank and hope that one day people will find them? The best way to make sure that the truth is safe is to teach it to the next generation. And to instill in them the passion to teach it to the next generation and to the next generation. This is how the truth is passed on. The truth is a trust. Now, the whole idea of a trust is that there's a responsibility concerning what you do with that. If, for instance, you are the manager of a trust fund, you understand that that fund is not yours to do with what you want, but rather you are managing that on behalf of someone else in the interest that they have. You are to be directing that trust in such a way that it would meet the goals of the person who set the trust up in the first place. And who is it that set up the trust of truth? It's God himself, the God of truth. And he definitely has a direction and a plan for how that truth ought to be directed and how it ought to be disseminated in the world. And you and I have a vital part 
in passing on this trust to another generation. Finally, look at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Fifth of all, the truth is a seed. It's a seed. Luke chapter 8, verse number 11, right in the context here of the parable of the sower, Jesus makes this statement. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. That that word is, you could put an equal sign in there. Seed equals the word of God. The word of God is the seed. Would you agree with me? The word of God is truth. The word of God is a seed. And in the context of this parable, a very interesting parable, which it's not our purpose to analyze all of this tonight and talk about all the different responses to the truth, simply to point out that how whenever the truth is scattered among a population, there will be all sorts of reactions and all sorts of responses and receptions for the truth. Not everyone is going to receive the truth in the same way. But understand that the seed is the word of God. And seed is very important. Seed has a purpose. Now, I know we're a long ways off from spring, but we can take hope in the fact that just a couple of days ago, everything changed. And now the days are getting longer again. And we can rejoice in that. Before you know it, it'll be spring. And it'll be time to go and get the seed and go to your garden and put it in the ground if you plant a garden. But could you imagine a farmer who has barns and barns and barns of seed and says, I don't want to put it out in the field. It's too risky. It's too dangerous. It, it might not grow in some places, and I'm afraid that, that, that it's just not going to be valuable if we put it out there. I mean, what do you, you want to take it and put it in the dirt and cover it over? That, that doesn't seem respectful to the truth. That doesn't seem respectful to the seed. But that's what you do with seed. Seed has to be scattered. It has to be planted. And certainly there's some risk in that. But the only way for seed to bring forth its potential is for it to be put into the ground and watered and waited for. And eventually, what's amazing about seed is that one seed can bring forth a plant which will produce abundantly hundreds and hundreds of seeds. I remember a couple of years when our beans did really well. And we were actually able to leave some of those beans on the plants until the first frost. And then we went out and we gathered up those dried up beans and we separated the seeds out and we put them in a bag and we were able to take them and plant them again the next year and the next year and the next year. So we were able to get a harvest of plenty of beans to eat for ourselves, but we were also to get enough seed that we could plant for several years after that. Do you know that's the intention of seed? Anybody who keeps seed in the barn or in the cabinet or in their house doesn't understand the purpose of seed. Seed has to be 
put into the ground. It has to be sown. All right. So truth is a blessing. It is a light. It's an investment. It's a trust. It's a seed. You say, all right, pastor. Great. So what are you saying? This is what I'm saying. What are you doing with the truth? You receive, and I receive, a lot of truth. God has blessed us with truth. He has lightened our path with the truth so that we know which way to go and how to live. He has invested in us with the truth. He's given us something that is a stewardship. He has entrusted us with the truth. He has been good to us in planting the seed of truth in our life. And I trust tonight that you have experienced that seed bringing forth fruit in your life. But now, the question was, what are you doing with the truth? And here is the danger that I see. Would you turn to James chapter 1? There is a danger which we are especially susceptible to, and that is the danger of not really valuing the truth and not really utilizing the truth in the way that God intends. So James chapter 1, verse number 21, he tells us this about the truth, the Word of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Boy, there's a lot in verse 21. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So now notice that the truth must be received with meekness. That is, you could, you could say, if you got saved, then you know what that means. Because the only way to get saved is to lay aside your pride and receive with meekness the declaration of God about your sin and the way of salvation. That's the only way to be saved. In fact, that's the thing that keeps many people from getting saved. Because they don't want to receive the word of God with meekness. They, they don't mind being classified as a Christian or being religious or going to church or any of those sorts of things. But they don't want to receive with meekness and humility the word of God. All right, but then after we get saved, we have to continue receiving the word of God with meekness. And then he tells us something very important in verse 22. He says we ought to be doers of the word doers of the word. Some of you were, were in Israel not that long ago. Did you go to the Dead Sea when you were there? Some of you that were in that group, did you? Okay. Did you go bobbing around in the Dead Sea too? How did that feel when you came out of the water? You all went. Did you like it? Oily. <laughs> Oily. All right. I've heard from other people who've gone into the Dead Sea that it it's kind of disgusting. I don't know. Does it smell too? Okay, it's got a smell. So what's interesting about the Dead Sea is that all of this water runs into the Dead Sea. 
but there's no outlet. It evaporates into the air, leaves behind a high concentration of minerals, and the reason that the Dead Sea is the way that it is is because there's no outlet, and so all those minerals have just been building up for all that time. It's not really a pleasant type of a place, and I don't think that fish and things live in there because of the high concentration of minerals. It's kind of a unique place to visit, but... You know, not a, not a place that you'd probably want to go boating or something. A little bit skanky. Smells. You feel slimy when you get out. Do you know what? That's like a lot of Christians. That's like a lot of Christians who are constantly taking in the truth. And taking in the truth and learning. I mean, you, you practically have a master's degree in biblical theology. You can parse the verbs, and you can argue about whether Paul was the author of Hebrews, or you can discuss the finer points of doctrine, and and you can discuss with someone the hypostatic union, and you can uh, really get into the trenches and argue about which version of the Bible you ought to use, and and, uh, talk about all of the sign gifts, and you can really discuss with people. Great. Are you doing what God says? Are you living the word of God? Are you practicing the practical truths of scripture? You know, the truth is that people can become theologians without it ever affecting their life. They can argue about all sorts of theories. Now, I'm not minimizing theology tonight. I'm not saying that you shouldn't study your Bible. I'm I'm not at all suggesting that you ought to be ignorant of biblical doctrine. But what is concerning to me is that many American Christians are well-versed in matters of doctrine and can discuss with the best of them. And in fact, they do. They get on Facebook and argue back and forth about all sorts of things. Why don't you get out of your house? Turn off your computer. And go find somebody who doesn't have any light and tell them about Jesus. Why don't you find somebody who has no hope, who needs the blessing of the truth, and go share with them what God has done in your life? You understand what I'm saying? So when you think about what you're doing with the truth, I could ask you this question tonight. Are you auditing the course? auditing the course. You know what that means, right? A lot of universities and colleges, especially during COVID-19, placed their information freely on the internet and told people, if you want, you can take our courses for free. Now, you can't get credit, but you can partake of the information. You can watch it. You can, you can stream the content and, and get something out of it if you want. There's no test. There's no credit that's attached to it. No degree that you're going to receive. You know the problem with auditing courses? You don't really care. So if the teacher gives an assignment, you think, well, I'm busy this week. I'm not going to get to it. No big deal. But do you get the same thing out of the course as somebody who is fully invested? For instance, who paid for the course 
and who is determined to finish the course and hopefully get a good grade so that they can eventually finish the course of study and have a degree that they're going to receive, I believe that you probably don't. That's why it's usually not that valuable to just audit the course. But a lot of Christians are auditing the truth. We're like professional tasters of doctrine and teaching. The preacher comes, visiting speaker, and did you ever see somebody uh, taste coffee? What those professional taste testers? They've got all these coffees out there, and they go and they get a little cup, and they, I don't know what they, they cleanse their palate or something, then they take and they swish it around and they spit it out. And then they talk about what it tasted like. And then they go to the next one and they try that one. And they talk about what it tasted like. And they go around and they choose which one they like best. I'm thinking, I just like to have a cup of coffee. I just like to drink the cup of coffee, enjoy the whole thing. I'm not that interested in taking a little swallow and swishing it in my mouth and spitting it out. But you know, a lot of Christians treat preaching like that. It's like a buffet. Uh, he does this annoying thing with his hands when he's preaching. Well, I don't like the fact that he, that he says, um, every once in a while. Well, I notice that when he reads the scripture, he doesn't do this or he does that. I, I think that I, I just don't care for his presentation. <laughs> We're so spoiled. In a lot of countries in the world, there are people so hungry for truth that if anybody came along with a Bible and knew half of something about the Bible, they would sit enraptured to hear somebody teach them about the Bible, even if they stuttered and didn't say it exactly the right way. And we're like, I want you to impress me with your presentation or else I'm not listening. We're a little spoiled, aren't we? And we have a tendency, and this is a natural byproduct of hearing the truth all the time. I'm thinking of some of our young people. You hear the truth, you come to church, you're in Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night. You come to, to school and you're in Bible class and you're in chapel and you're, you're, you're sitting in, uh, you go to camp and you hear preaching and you have all these opportunities. But what are you doing with it? How are you taking the truth and applying it in your life? You say, well, I'm just a kid. You're a kid who's going to stand before God one day. What are you doing with the truth? Is the truth making an impact on your life right now? So are you an auditor? Are you someone who is acting out the truth? Meaning you're hearing it and like James 1 talks about, you're taking that truth And you're conscientiously trying to obey the Lord. Okay, Lord, I see that. I want to change my life. I want to obey you. I want to walk in faith. I want my life to reflect the truth of God. I hope that's how you're listening to the word of God. I hope that when you read your Bible, in your devotions, that the Bible affects you and that you make changes in response to what God is saying in his word, when you hear messages that that you would say, okay, uh, this is what God wants me to do and I'm going to apply it. I'm going to go and do something with the truth. Are you acting out the word of God? Are you doing something with it? If the word of God is not changing your life, 
then you're not handling the truth in the right way. You're actually violating the principle which we read in the very first verse in Proverbs 23, 23. You are selling the truth. Because to you, the truth is not something to be applied. It's something to be analyzed, something to be discussed, maybe something to be ignored, but certainly not something to do. That's a dangerous place to be. Here's something else you can do with the truth, and I hope that you'll take it to this point. Are you investing the truth in others? If you could picture each truth that you receive as a nugget of gold that is invested in your life, spiritual gold, and God's intention is for you to take that spiritual gold and go out and find other people who are in need and spread it around. So God's intention is for you to learn things from the Word of God, not just to change your life, not just to make you more like Christ, but so that you can in turn take that same truth out into the marketplace of ideas and impact other people with the truth. Now, ultimately, this is God's purpose. And this is why I told you earlier that the truth is a blessing and it's an investment, it's a light and it's a trust and it's a seed because God's intention for the truth is never that we would take the truth and gather it to ourselves and hold on to it and hide it from other people and keep it under wraps so that nobody would know about it. That's not what the truth is designed to do. The truth is designed by God to be spread broadly. It's designed to be shared, and you can have an abundance mindset tonight. There's plenty of truth to go around. In fact, the truth is multiplied when we share it with others. That's the design of truth, just like seed is multiplied when you spread it and you plant it and it brings forth abundant fruit and now all of a sudden you planted this much seed and there's a hundred times more seed that's being shared with others. This is God's intention. Now, I want you just to use your holy imagination tonight and I want you to go into next year And I want you to think what would happen if we as a church were gripped with this message, with this truth, that all of the truth that has been invested in our lives is not for me, myself, and I. But all of this truth is to be used and planted, and shared, and spread, so that it could be a blessing, and a light, and a help to the people who are around me. The people that I rub shoulders with, the people that I see out in the marketplace, the people that I am in community with, the people that I talk with on a day-to-day basis, not the people that I see in church, although there's nothing wrong with talking about the truth with one another and fellowshipping around the truth. That certainly is part of what it means to be a church. But we need to take the truth from outside of these walls and take it to a world that needs that light. And in your mind, I want you to think about what might happen in our community if we all became very, very diligent 
about sharing the truth of God with the people around us. That is, of using the truth in exactly the way that God has designed the truth to be used by His people. Viewing it as a stewardship and a trust which can be freely shared with others so that it can have an impact on their lives. Would you do something with me in just a few moments when we go to prayer? Would you pray that God would help us to handle the truth like that in this upcoming year? That God would give us a passion for taking that which has been entrusted to us and disseminate that widely as far and as wide as we can. Would you pray that God would allow us to be the kind of church that would be the pillar and ground of the truth? Not so that we can keep the truth for ourselves, but so that we can share the truth with those around us. Tonight, let us buy the truth and sell it not. Let's use the truth for its intended purpose. Father, we thank you for this time together. We love you. We're so grateful for the truth of God and the difference that it's made in our lives. We pray this evening that you would help us to handle the truth in the right way. Help us to be diligent witnesses for Christ. Help us to look for opportunities to share the truth with those around us. Meet with us now as we spend time in prayer and remember these requests before the Lord. We pray that you'd be glorified in this prayer time. We thank you and praise you for all you've done, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Fetterman's going to come. He's got prayer time tonight. As he's coming, let me mention just a couple of things about Sunday, and he'll come and share some prayer requests with us and then dismiss us to prayer time. Just a reminder that Sunday is New Year's Eve. We will have a combined Sunday school class at 9 o'clock here in the auditorium for those who are teenagers and above, and we invite you to come and be a part of that on Sunday morning. I know we've got folks who are traveling. I'm hearing from a lot of people who are sick, so evidently we've been sharing some germs around, and so we'll just see how all of that works out. But on Sunday, we'll have combined Sunday school in here in the auditorium, and we hope you can be with us. Uh, Then we'll have our normal morning service. The evening service at 6 o'clock, we have four of our deacons who are planning to bring short messages to share with the congregation, and we'll have some singing and have those fellows bring what God has put on their heart to share with the congregation. I know that'll be a blessing to each of you, and I hope that you'll come anticipating a time around God's Word in the Sunday evening service. After the evening service, we're planning to have our chili cook-off, time of fellowship. Um, How's the trophy coming? Um. He's waiting on a flash of inspiration. Okay. Brother Fetterman is an artist. And you can ask him about the artistic endeavor, but until the moment strikes, it's not, it's not going to come together. So you pray for him. These original designs for trophies are weighing on him, and it's a, it's a heavy, heavy burden for him every year to come up with an original design for the trophy, but it's much coveted, and so I know there's a lot of thought going into the chilies that will be presented on Sunday evening for us to eat. If you're planning to bring one, you can sign up out in the foyer if you didn't already. I mean, the real part is that we all get to eat chili and have a good time of fellowship, so we look forward to that. Uh, afterwards, if you want to stick around and, and greet the new year, that's fine. Some folks I'm hearing are planning on bringing some board games to share with one another and, and to play some games until midnight or so, and so you're welcome to do that if you want to stick around a little bit later and, 
and see the new year in. And who's got lockup? Is that Shane? Yeah, Shane's a late night guy, so it's all good. He doesn't mind staying up till midnight. He's young. And uh, so you can, you can do that if you'd like. Good time of fellowship together and looking forward to that. The following Sunday, uh, we, we will have in the evening service a time where we'll be sharing the calendar for 2024 and, and talking about our theme for the year and some of the direction that we believe God is taking us. I'm excited about sharing that with the church family. I've taken this week to do some preparations personally, some, some calendar planning and so on, and just trying to lay some things out in my mind. I'll be meeting with the staff on Friday, and we'll be talking through the church calendar, the different needs of the church, and just making sure that we have everything in the right perspective. And then we'll be sharing some of that with you on Sunday the 8th. Is it the 8th? No, it's not the 8th. It's the 6th. The 6th of June, uh, January. June would be great, too. That'll give me plenty of time to pull it together. So the 6th of January, we'll be sharing some of those things with you. And so that'll be forthcoming. Pray for Sister Gina and Bertina as they're traveling, leaving tomorrow to go to Zambia and visit Brother Jeff and uh, Nina and the grandkids. And so pray for them to have a safe trip. And I know some of you have been keeping up with Brother Bavius, the, the fellow in the church uh, that Brother Jeff was telling us about last week. And boy, he's got a long road ahead of him. He had surgery a couple days ago, and that's the first surgery just to clean up. Uh, Jeff sent me, I, I should have put the pictures on the screen for you. Jeff sent me a picture of his bike and of the, the tire, the wheel that came off of the semi-truck that hit him. It's a miracle that guy is alive. And so, you know, we're thankful that he's to this point. He, so he had that surgery, and then they put a, a knee and leg immobilizer on him, and hopefully he'll be discharged from the hospital in a couple of days to heal a little bit. And then in a couple months, he's going to come back and have another surgery to try to put the leg back together so that he can regain some use of that leg. But he was severely injured. Uh, the doctor, the surgeon who did the surgery said above his kneecap, the bones were just the, the, that primary bone right here was completely shattered into fragments and pieces. And right now it's too dangerous to put that all together because of the risk of infection. So they need to let that heal. The surgeon who did the surgery is, uh, ironically, one of the best orthopedic surgeons on the continent of Africa. And they just happened to find him there in uh, the capital city of Zambia. And so praise God for that. And uh, just so the church understands, I, I was communicating back and forth with Brother Jeff, and there was a financial need for Brother Bavius to have this surgery. And so I told him that we would just send the money for that. So we had some money set aside in our benevolence fund, and we forwarded that over for this surgery. Once we have an idea about the second surgery, I'll come back and talk to the church about that, and we can see if there's some folks that would like to help with that need at that time. But if we could be a blessing to that young man, help him to get back up on his feet and serve the Lord, that would be great. And so you pray for him and pray for his full recovery. He's an important part of the ministry there in Cobway. So I told you I wasn't going to talk much, but I did. So come on and share the prayer request with us. All right, we'll move through these pretty quickly. Uh, since we have the 